Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Justin Clark. I'm Adam Cronin. And today we're discussing the future of 3D printing. So that means we'll be exploring what 3D printers may one day be capable of, how technology may be applied to certain industries, and what that will mean for consumers, businesses, and society as a whole going forward. Um, but first, maybe, Matamor, do you want to talk a little bit about what 3D printers are capable of today? Yeah, totally. So there was a lot of hype around 3D printers six or eight years ago, and people were calling it the fourth industrial revolution, and everyone's <laughs> going to have a 3D printer in their home, and they're going to be making knickknacks and fixing their fridge with little parts, and you know there was so much hype around it. And mm -hmm. what happened? Six to eight years later, I only know a few people who own a 3D printer. And yeah. um, most people don't. But it has made some pretty incredible progress in industry, in manufacturing, mm -hmm. in B2B. Yeah. So it has not yet fulfilled its vision for consumers, but it's done some pretty exciting things for industry. Yeah, I but, mean, it. it's hard to... Uh, really be a consumer like there's such a barrier to entry with 3d printing because you need to know something like CAD like computer automated design and these other things and I think that's one of the reasons it just kind of stagnated because I almost I sort of bought into that hype too it was really cool to uh, do some of that stuff but I had engineering friends and you know in college uh, all the engineering uh, classes had 3d printers so it was just the coolest thing ever and then you know when you realize okay what's the practical use case of this back then especially when you're just making plastic stuff right you make it, a little model of of uh the david or like the yeah. eiffel tower and it's yeah. cool but it's like yeah but okay. 3d printers are getting a little bit easier to use like some of them now are just as simple as you download an stl file and then right. you can just upload it so you don't really need mm -hmm. to know CAD. Just the person who designed it needs to know CAD. Um, right. And another interesting change that's happened is that in 2009, uh, the cost of 3D printing went down by like 100x because a patent expired from the father of 3D printing. Um, this guy, do you remember, do you know his name? It's like Crump. Oh yeah, S. Scott Crump was his name. But he's the guy that first developed the fused deposition modeling method. And this is basically how like 99% of 3D printers work today, which is essentially you're just layering this thermoplastic or whatever the material is on top of each other enough times so that it builds a 3D structure. Yeah. Some people have critiqued this and said that it's not even really 3D because you're just like, layering a bunch of 2d layers on top of right. each other but i've heard other people say well that's kind of you could say that about anything like anything is just if you make it small enough like it could be considered two-dimensional or um, right yeah so. i mean one of the things about um this uh, that's called additive manufacturing right right just this yeah. just adding one layer there's a lot of issues with that too because and we can talk about some of these new technologies that are being developed right now with like uh, Carbon is one of the big mm -hmm. 3D printing companies. But but what they um, this additive manufacturing where you would print layer by layer, you're still constrained with what you can create. 
So for mm -hmm. example, you couldn't create an inner sphere and an outer sphere and have that inner sphere totally loose and like once this 3D printing structure is done, you couldn't just like shake this ball and have another ball within this thing. Right. So there's yeah. it also gets always, really complicated when you have multiple materials. Yeah. And that's that's maybe one thing too that has gotten a little bit better. I mean, it's still not wonderful, but it, a lot of these are still plastic based materials. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of times if you need a little bit more structural integrity, um, which is another issue I can talk about with the um, additive manufacturing, but sometimes they'll add little metal filaments or carbon fiber filaments to plastics and maybe increase the strength of these materials a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's a lot more materials um, being created right now. Yeah. You can use titanium, yeah, I mean, metal like... <laughs> metal stuff is really awkward. Like, it doesn't right. really look that great when you see a metal um, material 3D printer. Um, yeah, I have some stats here, and the most common metal 3D printing materials are aluminum, uh -huh. which is 57% yeah. of all. Uh, stainless steel is the next at 35%, and then titanium at 6.5, and cobalt at 1.5. And yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look great, but obviously it's a lot stronger than using thermoplastics. And I mean, right. it can be really important, especially when we talk about like medical applications, like printing prosthetics and right. like one of my one of my good friends uh, from high school, he broke his he got his jaw broken and he had to have total reconstructive mm -hmm. surgery of his jaw. And right before he was supposed wow. to have this surgery, the doctors and surgeons 3D printed a model of what his jaw would look like and how it would fit together after the surgery that they had planned. And they realized when they got the model that it would be completely misaligned and he would basically like look like a crazy person with like a jaw jutting out and like to the left and like his <laughs> upper jaw jutting to the right, even though like medically it was yeah. still sound, like it would just look ridiculous. And so right. at the last second, they postponed his surgery and then they did it the right way after like testing it out on the 3D model. Mm. And now his jaw looks great. And you like, you would never know he had surgery and he's got like, you know, that material yeah, that's one of the things that this new company, well, I don't know exactly when it was founded. It's probably been in the works for a while, but they've, they've been raising a lot of money recently, carbon um, 3D printing or mm -hmm. something, but they, they are working a lot in the biomedical space. And one of their big examples is creating dentures. Yeah. Because like when you, when you get an x-ray or a CT scan, you can actually recreate what, um, what would be a really difficult thing to create, like the uh, the, te the teeth structures. Yeah. Um, typically, I believe it was this sort of artisanal process where people would hand create some of these these teeth if you wanted them to look really good. Whereas now, this company can just uh, 3D print entire dentures. Um, yeah. And maybe maybe we should talk a little bit about carbon 3Ds actual technology because it isn't the additive manufacturing oh it's, cool yeah it's something new entirely um this is the one this is com a company that's working on light-based 3d printing so basically they have oh, this oh i think i've heard this about resin. this 
Yeah, they have this resin, and essentially um, the light, they can focus this light in specific areas of the resin, and then it hardens in that specific area. Mm. And this is one where we actually can create a complicated structure like a, an inner sphere and an outer sphere without actually having them touching. Um, and then they also partnered with Adidas and they created the soles of shoes last right. year. I think it was like a hundred thousand shoes and they're, um, they're creating this sort of mesh that, um, is actually structurally sound and they can use, uh, materials like silicone and other things that are maybe a little bit more durable plastics, but also they give a little bit so that right. they can create these really cool, uh, structural materials. And I also think one of the brands they teamed up with was Russell, the, I think, mostly football equipment, yeah. like American mm -hmm. football equipment company, and they were creating helmets. And they also, mm. they created this mesh structure within the helmet itself to uh, hopefully alleviate the concussion problem more because this mesh structure could absorb shock better than previous like foam-based methods. Right. Yeah. I mean, we kind of talked about how machine learning design can be mm -hmm. way more structurally sound and way lighter mm -hmm. and more flexible than what yeah. a human would do, which is typically like, oh, yeah, make it flat, make the corners like even and, you know, just like a yeah. very like, uh, you know, cookie cutter way that humans mm -hmm. tend to design things. We talked about that in the future of aviation. And it's right. interesting how that sort of like machine learning design combined with 3D printing, especially this newer type of 3D printing that you're talking about with mm -hmm. carbon, can both together create structures that no human would be able to design and no human would be able to implement on their own, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. And if you think of the old manufacturing methods, typically what, what 3D printing is compared to is injection molding. So mm -hmm. you have to... So if you want to make a plastic part, you need to create some sort of metal mold where you just put a lot of hot plastic in there and eventually it uh, dries out and you have a plastic part. But that's so, like you are saying, it's so limited in what you can actually create with something like that. So right. if you wanted to create intricate tubing, for example, which is something that might be necessary you know, if we're thinking longer term for people on the International Space Station, like they're, they don't have oh, yeah. access to new things. I have a lot to talk about with that. Yeah, and maybe we should because yeah. this is one of those things that 3D printing can really revolutionize. It can help us with um, these colonies on Mars or with people up in the space station that don't really have access to any new parts. They're, they're going to have to create new parts. So instead of sending up every single right. product or every single part that they're going to need, instead, you're just going to have to, um, you know, make it there wherever you are. Right. And they say that, that that's why it's such a good application for, quote, businesses in isolation. So right mm -hmm. now, a lot of times that's, you know, if you're on an oil rig, you can't always yeah. get the right materials or if you're in a submarine or like you said, in outer space, that's probably the biggest one where mm -hmm. you're just totally isolated and you can't get the materials. And mm -hmm. when I was thinking about that, it's like, okay, if you want to be able to replace any piece of equipment on a ship, a spaceship, mm -hmm. then one way with current 3D printing technology is 
every piece of the ship needs to be small enough to be recreated in the 3d printer so it would be mm -hmm. like more of like a modular design but ideally if we're thinking far future like once the mars colony is thriving mm -hmm then it would make way more sense if the 3D printer was unbounded, meaning it could just sort of float around and sort of, you know, fix and reprint parts of the ship, like without actually needing it to be like internally contained in the printer. And I mean, mm, this kind of gets into some far future ideas like the von Neumann probe, where if you can get these like sort of nano assembly bots that can construct oh, things right. on the atomic level, then you could mm -hmm. essentially just like build anything. And, you know, we talked also in quantum computing about how, you know, even if you have a true vacuum in like in space where there's nothing like no electrons, no photons, absolutely nothing, even then electrons will just pop into existence. And, you know, mm -hmm. we also talked about in the future of nuclear, how you can basically harness the energy of the cosmos by like unleashing the power of the what's in the nuclei. So you could imagine a scenario in the future where it's like you can sort of just build things on like the, you know, the subatomic level to mm -hmm. basically build whatever the hell you need. And maybe it's powered through some like through that sort of like nuclear power of the cosmos or or some other like quantum power that we can't that we don't even quite know about. Yeah. But, but if you think about like what's the furthest potentiality of something like this, it's basically mm -hmm. like you could assemble anything you like anything in the universe, like on demand, mm -hmm. just using these like little mini assembly bots. Yeah. I mean, that is essentially what 3d printing should be because right now we have yeah. this really rough approximation of it uh, with this additive manufacturing you know there are still those light-based methods that are a little bit uh, better um, but the other thing about being in space in particular in these current technologies is if there's no gravity we can't even use those sorts of older technologies right. well there is it it requires gravity to like push down one layer onto the next pretty much yeah although there is a company that is specifically manufacturing 3d printers that work in zero gravity okay and i'm sure yeah. the carbon the carbon what like the light-based one would work as well but yeah like you said what this ultimately leads to is something that builds from the ground up and that's mm -hmm. sort of what biology is right. we are essentially 3d printers where our design is encoded in our dna and that, you know, our DNA right. is trying to fight against whatever environmental factors like the laws of physics and whatnot. Yeah, um, like, like, you know, uh, you've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. A long time ago, yeah. So, you know, when like there's all the monkeys, you know, apes like hanging out on that planet and then that giant obelisk like lands in the middle of their habitat, mm. that obelisk is people, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey fans think is a von Neumann probe, meaning that is the virus that spreads life to this like conscious, intelligent life to this otherwise very, you know, primitive world. Mm -hmm. And so you could imagine just like sending out these like super high tech 3D printers that maybe they have some of like the, you know, the software encoding of DNA or whatever else is needed. And you can essentially populate the cosmos with 
DNA-based life. Mm. And that would be sort of a way to uh, spread the human, you know, the human genome and, and make us not so dependent on Earth. Like we, like you said, this is a way that we really could escape from Earth, not really traveling in the sense that we're getting on spaceships as fully grown people and going to these new planets, but we can expand and make sure that the, the human race still propagates the universe and still lives on even if we, you know, are on the brink of destruction. So mm. it could be a way of preserving humanity by just sending out a, a bunch of different probes, making sure it hits, you know, some probably like a, a planet in the Goldilocks zone somewhere that could probably support our sort of life forms. So that would be really interesting. Or would it be better to just send simple celled organisms and then they could like evolve to their specific planet that they land on? Yeah. Well, the trouble with sending actual organisms is that they have to live for the whole time that they're traveling. Mm -hmm. So the way I envisioned it is imagine you just have the code, like all you need is the information of what DNA is constructed, how DNA is constructed. And then it's like, can be like the size of a needle that basically, or like, you know, very small, that just goes out like near the speed of light. And then it can just assemble like subatomic and atomic structures, just having that information of what to encode. So you wouldn't even need anything living to to create it. Um, Yeah. So what do you think, just to kind of change subjects a little bit, what do you think are some of the cool technologies being used today? Like there's yeah. some, some construction, there, you know, there's a lot of different applications for 3D printing. I'm curious what your thoughts are on you know, your favorites yeah. so far. I mean, it seems like there's really cool stuff when you go really small or when you go really big, especially if mm-hmm. it's somewhat complex. So on the big side, I like this one company that has actually the most expensive 3d printer it's a 2.5 million dollar 3d printer and it runs on a track that's 70 meters long so this is a big printer wow what are they printing it like what kind of so you can print an entire structure so you can print like i've actually gotten advertised this on instagram from this company but you can basically just 3D print a yoga studio in your backyard for not very much money and they'll come there, they'll set up the track and then in like a week it'll just 3D print this like fully functional yoga studio. You know exactly what it's going to look like before. It's like all made of the same basic like wood carbon fiber type material. Interesting Um, because I've seen construction where the it's almost like a a cement 3d printer where it'll just like create this super simple structure and it'll, it'll make the walls with this additive layering but right. i've never actually i don't it know is additive seen the it's not that uh it's not that complex as far as like the shape of it but it looks right. like a nice modern yeah. yoga studio so that's very cool to me because it's just like so much easier than trying to actually hire people and the noise mm-hmm. and how long it takes and yeah, that. and that could be one thing that helps solve the affordable housing crisis. Like mm-hmm. that could be something that creates a bunch of affordable housing units somewhere 
so we don't have as big of a homeless problem in certain areas like that that yeah. could just be something that has that creates low cost housing that that's really interesting though yeah and then on the smaller side i would say anything that's specific like especially medical applications that are specific to a person i think is really key so for instance they're creating hearing aids that are based on the mold of your ear that you can 3d print um, because it's personalized to you that's yeah, one. it's way more unique than most people realize right and then also prosthetics like there are a lot of people out there who have really bad ankle issues and no matter how many surgeries they get they still have this pain and it's just not functioning properly and maybe they've you know they have you know corrosion in their bones or, or something but the you know right now most people would not get a surgery if it's not needed but if 3d printing gets good enough you could imagine it might make more sense to just chop off your foot and just get a prosthetic foot that's like perfectly designed to you to have like the best structural integrity mm -hmm. and getting like a titanium part of your jaw that's like just perfect to exactly what sort mm -hmm. of support you need and then the final uh, application is they're actually now working to 3d print organs and you know we talked about this a little bit in our medical episode but they're not able to fully print an organ yet but they have made some innovations where they can print the scaffolding, a sugar-based scaffolding, where the cells can grow on that scaffolding to create the mm -hmm. organ. And they're going through uh, clinical studies now. So that's something that may be available in the near future. And that would be huge for, if you don't have to wait for a donor when you need like, heart surgery, yeah. or you need a lung transplant or a kidney transplant or liver, and you can just get one printed exactly to your specifications with your blood yeah. type and everything. I mean, that is so huge. Yeah, that's one of my favorite application, like future applications of 3D printing, because um, I think there's this company, they're called Cell Inc. Essentially, they have this ink that has a bunch of cells in it, but they can create super simple tissue like the the lining of organs and stuff like that which is really cool mm -hmm. one of the things i've read about that that is difficult if you're tr if you're not just creating a prosthetic but something that your body accepts you need to somehow create a structure um that has all of the the whole vascular network and that's one of the biggest things because you have little blood uh, capillaries and veins everywhere um, and that's like that's one of the hardest problems to solve but um, one of the other problems I've heard is the the scaffolding um, that is used can break down and become toxic mm -hmm. the the way that it is right now so the the sugar will dissolve and you know go away but it still is problematic for long-term use mm -hmm. and I actually just saw a research paper I think it was within the last week where um, these this uh, team I forgot which university but they actually made uh, this this bioprinting or this 3d printing work without scaffolding uh, without the same sort of scaffolding um, instead it used like stem cells and the stem mm -hmm. cells would after like after this whole 
um, organ was grown, the stem cells would either disappear or sort of integrate with the the organ itself or the tissue itself, mm. which which is pretty interesting. And one of those things that um, will make this sort of application uh, more viable in the future. And probably, you know, the, there's a lot of these things that will need to take place. What, what would you guess, like 20, 30 years before something like this is viable? Or do you think it's shorter or longer than that? It's hard to say. From my research, it seems like there's a lot of investment and research going into the medical area. So I mm -hmm. think we're going to have some pretty incredible, like I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years, all the major organs can be 3D printed. Um, mm. or may, I mean, not the maybe not the brain, but yeah, <laughs> the brain is probably going to take like 20, 30, 50 years. Yeah, but, uh, I'm pretty bullish on how most organs like heart valves, you know, an entire heart, liver, yeah. kidney, lungs, these are maybe lungs might be a little more difficult. But yeah, I'm pretty bullish on that. Um, and the other thing about this, this bioprinting is even if if we go away from like, uh, organs for humans, if we can print organic tissue, this is one of those things that's necessary for widespread um, lab grown meat, I believe, yeah. I think it's one of those things that that we'll need obviously for we burn could, victims yeah yeah if, if if we're talking actual medical applications but if we want like just for the whole food you know when we talked about this in the future of food right they might be able to 3d print steaks fruit. yeah exactly. well and that's and we we mentioned this in that episode but the beauty of 3d printing a steak is that if it's not 100 percent perfect who cares you just eat it and it's still delicious and nutritious whereas mm. if an organ is not 100 percent then your body might reject it. So there's a lot more room for error with 3D printing meat rather than 3D mm -hmm. printing organs specific to a human being. And some mm -hmm. of the, the 3D printing meat companies actually started as medical uh, 3D printing companies. So oh, interesting. Yeah. And they saw that as like the, the first... They pivoted, yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And then there's, you know, regard aside from life or death applications there are just some fun 3d printing applications like fashion was one of the earliest and most successful applications because a lot of high-end fashion they only make a select few number of any jewelry item and there's also sizing to consider you know people's ring sizes and that sort of thing and they can use silver and other precious metals to create these so that's big, um, you know, handbags and luxury accessories. Although the one challenge I saw there is that counterfeit fashion could become an even bigger problem with 3D printing because already there's like, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry mm -hmm. to make fake Louis Vuitton and Chanel bags. And if you yeah. can just download the file and 3D print one yourself for like 10 bucks, you know, why would anyone pay you know, thousands of dollars for the real thing. Yeah, I'm curious how 3D printed bags would even work. Like, leather seems to be one of those materials that would be super difficult to yeah, uh, print I mean, with. Maybe like little... You can do um, like chain trinkets. mail or like a lot of like sequency type things. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Personally, I'm not that into that sort of thing, but... 
it's interesting. There's probably a lot of high fashion, yeah, you know, like fashion shows that have these really intricate one-off designs. Right. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of 3D printed stuff there. And also in Hollywood with costumes and props, that has been big. So if you think of Iron Man, Iron Man's whole costume was printed using a 3D printer. They printed all of the metal sheets exactly based on what these 3D designers had specified. And it only costs like, I don't know, a thousand dollars worth of materials but you can sell an Iron Man costume for $35,000 if it's like wow. a total replica. Um, so it, it, it uh, has some interesting applications for whether you're an entrepreneur who's just trying to like create cool costumes and that kind of thing. Or if you're mm-hmm. just a Hollywood producer, you can have these super high tech sci-fi looking things and you can just have someone design it and then print it without needing to like source different materials and and get all these different parts and I mean, yeah, and th- if you think one of the things just to say something quick about that specifically like the iron man if they wanted to build the molds and everything else with an old school manufacturing method it would have probably cost hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars tooling for manufacturing is stupid expensive right. but if you can the nice thing about 3D printing is you can create these one-offs without having this high upfront cost. So yeah. that's that's huge. I mean, I saw that 3D printing has made an average airplane from Boeing $30 million less expensive because wow. they take a single piece that would be used in an engine that used to require like 20,000 different pieces mm-hmm. all assembled together and now they can make it with just 200 pieces, all 3D printed. So the order of magnitude of how many fewer parts they need to make and also just all the costs of sourcing materials made in China, paying the tariffs, you gotta mm-hmm. pay for the cost of shipping. And it's like, rather than doing all of that, you can just have the design. And I mean, I don't wanna to get too far into this cause this starts to get into my best case scenario. <laughs> But it's yeah. pretty amazing how this would just completely change trade and the ability for anyone to create whatever they can imagine on demand, only yeah. needing raw materials. Yeah, I mean, it just streamlines the supply chain, mm-hmm. so you don't need to you don't need to worry about international trade. Anyone in any country can just create what they want, whenever they want, pretty much, and that that's huge for developing countries or un- undeveloped and developing countries and you know this stuff like this you know if we can really lower the cost of 3d printing then we can introduce these sort of technologies to lower income countries and they can start to create objects and tools that are useful maybe in a little tribe you know for example that are that's totally removed in six hours from the nearest uh, trade town and that's oh, yeah. that's fairly common in africa and that sort of gets into education and 3d oh, printing yeah. has been super successful with education and vocational mm-hmm. training and kids in schools nowadays are oftentimes they'll have a 3d printer in their classroom and whenever they're learning about an object they can 3d print it and they can hold it in their hands and understand what it is 
and they're even being taught how to use these 3D printers, how to build designs. And it's really incredible because it sort of bridges between the digital software world and the real physical world of building real things. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's incredible. Um, and yeah, then there's and just, the other. Yeah, go ahead. Well, so the other thing about education that I love about 3D printers is it, it shortens the feedback loop. When you're, if, Rapid if a student prototyping. is, yeah, so if you're, you're able to shorten the feedback loop, they can sort of see, okay, the, I was wrong in this part of the design, you know, whatever they're designing, it could be anything, right. or they could, they could be making um, projects that are sort of useful. And, you know, if, if someone, if, you know, you, you go to school or you talk to your parents, you're like, well, what do we need? That's like little, you know, a cool little thing. Maybe it's a little phone case or maybe it's something, one of those things yeah. that you put your phone on and then it amplifies the sound from the speakers. Like there's a lot of one-off things that you can create that are actually practically useful in your life. And that's one of the other things I think education lacks on, in a lot of subjects is the real world application of things. Whereas if you get the rapid feedback and something that's practical, you can start to really care about the math, the physics behind the structure of things. And, yeah. um, you know, it's really good for STEM education, I think, right. in particular. Yeah. So there's a couple other areas that I want to touch on before we get into the future scenarios. And one of them is environmental, which is totally positive. And then the other one that's a little bit doom and gloom is the military and gun aspect. So first, let's start with the positive, which is environmental. And they have been having some interesting applications with 3D printing for the environment. So for instance, in the Maldives, they 3D printed coral reef to help regenerate life in the Maldives. And right now, it's just the structure of the coral reef. It's not like they're actually printing coral but it is yeah. possible that, that, that they could eventually do that as well. And in general, and so then there's, other, there's also a, uh, I think it's a Danish company or somewhere in the Nordic area where they have a company that specializes in using recycled plastic as 3D printing material. So this is a way where, you know, right now it's kind of, a lot of the recycled plastic doesn't get utilized to its fullest extent because it's kind of hard to like weld it back together and make it into new stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you can just have that all be like raw material that feeds into a 3D printer and doesn't have to always make the same thing, doesn't have to just make water bottles, it can make anything that's plastic, then that's a much better system for recycling, uh, particularly plastic polymers. And, um, and then the final thing I'll say on environment is just that there's way there's a huge reduction in carbon emissions because you need far less uh, trade, like far less like bringing materials from here to there. And it just yeah. sort of streamlines the whole process like we've talked about. So mm -hmm. it has some interesting future scenarios for the environment. Yeah. The one thing I think I think the positives outweigh the negatives, but it is worth noting that a lot of the materials that are used in 3D printers are still unrecycled plastics, like ABS yeah. plastic, and all, a lot of them can. So if you're uh, 3D printing, particularly, I think I think it's ABS plastic. There's, there's some plastics that they can, uh, 
emit this small filament, uh, these small filaments of plastic, like during the 3D printing process. And it can be bad if you do mm. it in your home. Like it, it, it's not very good to breathe that stuff in. But the other thing is if everybody had a 3D printer and they were just making trinkets, I would imagine that landfills would just yeah. overflow with plastics that what didn't necessarily come from recycled plastic in the first place. Right. So it's although it, I don't think that the the trinket market is growing. I feel like if anything yeah, I don't people think are, it will either. People are valuing meaningless plastic items less and less over time. Right. Like I even our generation compared to our parents, like they cared about like having fine china and like all of these material things <laughs> and, and most millennials just care about having like awesome experiences. More and than... then Gen Z is probably even going to be even further than that, like less materialistic than um, millennials would be, my guess. Yeah. Or it's going to be a cycle. You know, it's hard to tell right now. But but that is a know. good point. I mean, the most common materials for 3D printer are plastic. So number one is standard PLA. Uh, mm -hmm. Number two is standard ABS. Um, you know, then there's resin mm -hmm. and then nylon is, you know, not plastic, but um mm -hmm. Yeah. It would be good, though, to point out that the things that are made with 3D printers aren't these single-use plastics, like right. a water bottle or something. So it, it, they could be things that are actually used time and time again, or it's you know a fundamental part of like the tubing of your house, or it's just a repair to some aspect yeah. of your house. So it's something that it's you probably want to last not, a long time. Yeah, it's probably not going to be like we said we're we're not just going to have kids making toy after toy with the 3D printer but we probably will see more practical uses for what is made and plastics are good for being able to form really intricate shapes so it's not mm -hmm. plastics aren't necessarily bad if they don't end up it's just bad when you drink a water bottle in five minutes and then it takes millions of years to decompose yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's probably I would say that like I said there's way more positives, but there is you know we should maybe at least consider the fact that right most plastic. things are made from plastics. So um, what do you think about the three D printing gun issue? Yeah, well, when was that story? I think it was like last week or in the last couple of weeks that some guy in London got arrested for creating a a gun yep. that could fire a deadly uh, bullet so this um, was just in june 19th so it was like you know a week and a half ago or two yeah. weeks ago and a uk student became the first person ever to be convicted for illegally 3d printing a gun and when they investigators asked him well first of all i don't it doesn't it's not clear how he got caught but I think I saw that he was like searching how to create a gun. Like oh, they found his, him I think through his search, search history. history oh. and he also was suspected, I think, for growing pot or something. Oh. So. Um, <laughs> well, anyways, that they asked him. They said, "Hey, why did you 3D print this gun?" And he kind of changed his stories a few times. He was like, "Oh, I'm I'm using it as a prop for this dystopian future film." And they were like, okay, but then why do you need all of the lethal internal components and like bullets and like that kind of uh -huh. stuff? And he like didn't have a good answer. So he ended up pleading guilty. And this guy's, this kid's like 26 years old. Um, and so it does open up a question 
it's and it's more of a question in the U.S. because we have the Second Amendment as part of our constitution, and that question is: Should three D printing guns be regulated? And if so, how best should it be regulated? I mean, I would say somehow we need to make sure that th guns aren't all over the place. Like that, I would say yes. They're unregistered. Is, the the unregistered yeah. factor is why it's illegal, even in the U.S. Um, yeah. But there are still other loopholes like gun shows that there are quite a number of unregistered guns already in the U.S. Yeah, I'm not sure how you would regulate that unless you regulated the 3D printers themselves. And yeah, so that's like... one of the options. So either you regulate the 3D printers themselves so that if they recognize a file that's a gun, uh -huh. it, will, it will just not be able to print it. Um, but mm -hmm. you might be able to get around that by making like weirdly shaped guns. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the I'm other sure. way is if you regulate the f digital STL files themselves. Like you basically okay. have something crawling around the internet, like making sure that any, you know, 3D printed gun STL file immediately gets flagged and then they get a knock on the door from the FBI. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems hard to fully stop through the 3d printing of guns it seems like there are enough yeah. um technologists out there that can use vpn and tor and other ways of masking themselves that they could or like create their own 3d printer that doesn't have those safeguards or modify their 3d printer so to remove the safeguards like it seems quite unlikely that they could fully stop the 3d printing of guns Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm. I think it's a problem we need to think about pretty seriously, especially as 3D printing gets better and better. But how? I'm not really sure. Because there, yeah. and that's one of those the problems with designing policies and regulations is they're sometimes they're totally ineffective. And, right. You know. I'm, and I, I would be curious to see if. You know, there's probably a lot of overlap with the parts to 3D printed guns. So does that limit all sorts of um, products? You know, that I'm not sure. It's it's a hard problem. I don't really know the answer to it. Yeah, I'm sure there are smart people working on it though. Yeah. Well, we'll have some good time to explore it in the future scenarios, especially around the worst case. So maybe yeah, we take a break now and then get into the worst case scenario. Sounds good. So what do you think about the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario. My worst case scenario is an extrapolation of the 3D printed gun scenario. Meaning if you imagine that technologists will be able to print whatever the hell they want, which is seems pretty feasible if you are able to disguise your internet connection and your IP address and that sort of thing, then you could imagine people 3D printing not only guns in the future, but also viruses or mm -hmm. weapons of mass destruction, potentially. Yeah. Or, or you could 3D print a, an exact replica of someone's face to bypass facial recognition technology. Oh, right, yeah. You could also 3D print someone's fingerprint by like zooming in on a photo of their thumb. 
mm. you can 3D print a lot of the identifiers that are used to safeguard access to uh, mm. you know, secretive materials or institutions. Yeah, I mean, um, keys are a super... Well, that's probably an outdated example. I take it back. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you right. can easily make a copy of a key, but... Yeah, but if you if you think like okay, well, first one thing I just want to say that was kind of surprising to me is that theoretically any material can be used in a 3D printer so long as it's solid at room temperature. So there's really no limitation for what can be 3D printed, you know, whether it's cells or metals or plastics mm. or whatever. So mm. if criminals or terrorists or whomever can 3D print whatever they like, then that would be a big threat to national security and privacy. And so that's really my biggest concern around 3D printing. I will say that it's somewhat less scary than some of the other topics we've had, because that seems like something, yeah, it's really bad, but it also seems like something that could be regulated, if not entirely, at least the worst of it could be managed. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the other areas we've talked about, like nuclear and AI, like uh, you know, the, the, those, those seem are, like more real threats. Like they're right more and, concrete. Yeah. And three D printing is still kind of far out. Like yeah, you can make a dinky little gun, but how much damage is that really going to do to society? Yeah, you're probably not going to have armor piercing bullets. It's probably way easier to just get a gun off the black market than it is to 3D print a viable gun. Right, right. And then the only other negative thing I can think about is there is right now this ongoing question of patents for 3D printed Mm. designs. So if you're someone who creates a design, you may not get it patented and then someone may rip it off but I'm actually not concerned about that. And I kind of take Elon Musk's approach where he has this quote where he says that no one should be credited for anything ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of like that because it's like, yeah, the purpose of knowledge is to share knowledge and to learn from each other and to build off of what others have built. And if you patent everything and sort of sequester everything and no one can really use anyone else's designs, then that seems mm. like a world that is worse than the world where everyone just shares their patents and we all have enough like, you know, universal healthcare education and income where it's not like you need to depend on your patents to earn a living, but there will be much more flourishing for humanity if we do share all of our designs and build off of each other's work. Mm-hmm. So I guess my worst case scenario, the worst worst is a scenario where criminals and terrorists 3D print guns and viruses and bombs and you know mm-hmm. bypass facial recognition and that kind of thing but right. my like sort of less worse like my kind of bad case is where there's just way too many patents and patent lawsuits and people can't effectively build on the progress of others yeah i mean patents originally they were designed with good intentions i think it was to kind of help the small guy compete with the big companies and um even if they didn't have all the funding in the world right away, the patent could help them, you know, help a startup get to um, a like real marketplace uh, dominance at some point because they're better 
the problem is you see like patent trolls that will just own all the patents and then just sue everybody because someone oh, yeah. like sort of infringes. And the, it's all the big the guys thing, now. Yeah. Like if and, you look and, at there's just to give you a number, there's the number of patents just in the last few years, 342 patents from General Electric and 3D printing, 191 from HP. I mean, it's all the major companies that are doing this. So if you are a small guy, it's even harder with patents. Yeah. And you're yeah, not going to sue and succeed against, against GE. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. Because you need, like, to really have your patent hold up, you need to successfully sue Right. And, which means you need capital to sue. You basically like need more money to win, not yeah, just it, a better case. It's, it's dumb at this point, especially if we're talking about 3D printing, because 3D printing necessarily is cheaper and helps the small guy. It helps mm -hmm. the people, the smaller entrepreneurs create something with from a uh, lower cost or with a lower cost. So it's, yeah, I would say patents are outdated but i right. don't even know what we can do about the patent law well, industry well also, like it's so old it's bad for competing with china because china has no they mm. they patents are not a part of their culture they steal ip all the time right. so if we are trying to compete with our 3d printing abilities and everyone's fighting over patents and usage while countries like china just take all the best patents and don't care at all then obviously they're going to make more progress faster. So yeah, it seems that's that's another concern. Right. Yeah. So I mean, for my worst case, I think, I mean, you covered uh, some of the dangerous stuff. So the one thing I'll add to uh, the worst case is, if some underdeveloped countries or developing countries get a hold of some of these bigger 3D printing technologies, um, but they just try to crank stuff out without really care for regulation of the structural integrity of certain things. If we're talking about um, airplane parts and those are just being created sort of willy-nilly, it's just the cheapest way to do things and maybe not structurally sound, I could see a scenario where people, you know, smaller countries and smaller companies um, that aren't as tightly regulated try to compete so much that they do it at the cost of the integrity of certain things. And obviously mm. this is the, the biggest example is through aerospace stuff and also right. through, um, I mean, automotive kind of, but it's probably not as big of a deal in that scenario. Although isn't, I mean, all aerospace is basically Boeing and Airbus. Yeah, and neither so of those are developing countries. Yeah, I guess that that is But if is they hard. started their own airlines, I guess then that would be Yeah, and and buildings would be another thing. So if you're trying to mm -hmm. um that's one thing that we have seen historically that underdeveloped countries with less regulation around building structural integrity have, you know, buildings just kind of falling apart mm -hmm. because there isn't the regulation around it. Or like a 3D printed um, organ that falls apart inside your body. <laughs> that would be pretty yeah. awful. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that uh, could happen as well. Um, mm -hmm. Because we, you know, the like we said, the scaffolding isn't necessarily stable long term and could become toxic once it um, disintegrates. And then one more company I just wanted to point out, which, you know, we could talk about it for the worst case and the best case. 
Um, but there's this company called Rocket Crafters that they're 3D printing rockets, like the structure of the rocket. Right, um, I saw that. They, they've been like doing tests. I don't think they're really viable right now, but at some point they probably will be. Yeah. And we can create these low-cost rockets. So that's, you know, that's And it's good like only for... like a handful of, of components. It's amazing. It's like the whole outer shell is just one yeah. continuous yeah. structure. It's not it's not a rocket that you would expect from SpaceX that's like a Falcon Heavy or some giant rocket, but it is something that could send up a small refrigerator-sized satellite mm -hmm. into orbit. Or, since we're talking about the worst case, it could send a sort of bomb or a something some sort of weapon to another place for yeah. low cost. Rockets right now are extremely expensive to, you right. know, if we're doing like ballistic missiles or something. But if you can create sort of a hacky solution to that, yeah. we might have, you know, these these um, terrorist organizations have access to these, you know, smaller rockets, which right. could be really bad. I mean, if they can just invest in the cutting edge 3D printer and then they just download the file of how to design a rocket. They don't need that much technical know-how to do yeah. a lot of damage. Yeah. So that's that's obviously not good at all. Yeah. All right, what do you think for the best case scenario? Best case scenario. Best case. So I think for the best case, um, it's a lot of it is um, just reducing the supply chain of pretty much all the companies. Like it would be great if we didn't have um, this huge reliance on global trade or these really long complex supply chains, if we could just create things on demand. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of those things that um, I think is true for any industry. For example, like reducing the supply chain in agriculture is super important because then we could have more fresh food everywhere. We don't have to worry as much about, you know, um, vegetables and healthier food getting old. It, you know, that's not related to 3D printing, but just to kind of illustrate why the supply chain, why lowering the supply chain complexity and cost is effective. Mm -hmm. I mean, it ultimately boils down to cheaper things for consumers, which is good. And yeah. it's good for people in developing countries in particular, because they can actually get products that are that were completely out of reach previously. Um, yeah, and they can just create something on demand if they needed this weird tool, instead of having to drive six hours to the nearest trade town, you just make it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of what I think for the best case. And then obviously, what if we extrapolate what we were saying about bioprinting, um, having the the whole medical industry transformed by creating organs on demand specifically for people um, that have you know heart failure, liver failure, anything else. And this could even turn into the whole anti-aging revolution where people just when they get too old, they'll just create a brand new young liver, heart, brain yeah. eventually and, you know, live for however long. You know, this it's one of those things that, you know, that could be dystopian also if people are all living forever. Right. But, um, 
but yeah, it could help with everyone's super uh, jaded and like never <laughs> smiles or laughs because they've seen it all. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So I don't know if that that itself is uh, part of the best case, but there's a lot of uh, medical um, advancements that we can do with this this bioprinting. Yeah. Yeah, I like what you said a lot about shortening the supply chain and I guess sort of the societal view that I think of when I think of the, the rosiest best case scenario is one where everyone is creating things locally and buying things locally and the only things we have to trade are raw materials with other countries. And it also kind of reminds me of a quote which is an optimistic view of how jobs and automation will play out where rather than it's like oh everyone's jobless and people can't eat and you know it's just terrible rather than that it's like okay the machines are doing all of the fundamental economic activity and we are just spending our time entertaining each other so whether you're you have a podcast or you're a musician or you write novels or you do interesting scientific research or maybe you're a cam girl or you live stream yourself playing video games, like whatever uh -huh. it is, this whole notion of like us entertaining each other far after the, the robots have done all of like the real work that is needed mm -hmm. in the economy. I right. think that plays perfectly into the 3D printing best case scenario because if you maybe rather than doing a podcast or live streaming video games, your thing is you like making little, you know, art pieces and you can create your own designs, make them locally, sell them to your friends, to people in your community. And this can kind of bring us back to our roots as being like more tight knit communities that can really trade with one another. And, you know, mm -hmm. while also not having to worry about like having enough food on the table or safety or health or that kind of thing or education. Right. Yeah, I think those are all wonderful that is very rosy i like it <laughs> yeah and then you know obviously when we go super far future it's like you know von neumann probes and just yeah. colonizing the cosmos and i mean i don't know how feasible this is given the other possibilities but maybe rather than 3d printing an organ once it fails it's like you go into a scanner you know once a week or once a month and it just like you know, sort of repairs and 3D prints, like, you know, different cells that have died, like, throughout your body, so you're kind of, like, always top-notch or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that gets really into the whole nano... Um, nano printing. Yeah, nano printing. And, nano, yeah. And then, the, and then I guess another, like, just... I like to think of just what is... Like, if I could really have it my way, if I were king of the universe, what would I do with this technology? And if you can imagine just sort of, like, you're walking down the street and you just think, you know what? I would love to have a jetpack right now. And you just think, I want a jetpack. And then your little like your your money in your bank account in your digital bank account from your augmented vision glasses just goes like <laughs> and you just subtracts like whatever the cost of a jetpack is. And then these little like probes like construct a jetpack in real time right in front of you and you're like, Oh sweet, here's my jetpack. And then you like go and you go off to work and, but basically just creating anything like seemingly from nothing, but really you're building it on a subatomic level or atomic level. Like that would be phenomenal. I would love that. 
I could and actually be... live my dream of building a water slide from my from my bedroom childhood bedroom <laughs> all the way down to the pool. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that would be that would be crazy, and it would be probably integrated with some sort of AI where you can just have a rough idea of what you want, and then the AI oh, will yeah. come up with. Even if it's something that's, yeah, it'll never, even if it's never been created before, it can be like, okay, I sort of know what you want. Given what what I know you want, I'm going to make it, you know, to the best of my ability. And then, you know, that's, yeah, I don't know. That could be, that could be really cool. Yeah. Um, It's it's like, uh, in, if you ever played Halo Forge, which is this sub game within Halo where you can basically mm -hmm. just create your own world and like, anything can just instantly pop into existence um, like that. I think that would be like the furthest extent of what 3d printing could be possible. Capable mm -hmm. of. Cool. So um, maybe to round it out, what do you think for the likely scenario? Most likely scenario. Yeah. So my likely scenario is, one in which there is rapid progress in medical, in manufacturing, in fashion, in aerospace, aviation, all of the industries, the big industries where there is big investment dollars uh, being invested. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of progress. And yeah. I think it's going to solve a lot of our problems with trade and it's going to lower costs for consumers and lower costs for businesses, make things more efficient. It's also going to make it more clear which raw materials we really need. And mm -hmm. that'll become a bigger conversation and countries will sort of be known for what raw materials they have. I mm -hmm. don't think it's going to be that big for consumers in the short term, because right. if you can just buy whatever you need, why not buy it from a 3D printing company that just specializes in that rather than like have your own 3D printer? Right. Right now, it doesn't seem like you would. I mean, how often does some little part in your home break down and you need it fixed? Like, it's just not doesn't happen often enough for you to invest in a 3D printer. But I will say 3D printers are really cheap now. It's only 200 bucks to get a pretty decent 3D printer. So, yeah. So, you know, I think it's going to slowly move up the curve for consumers, but I don't foresee mm -hmm. that really taking off in the same way that I foresee it taking off for industries. Yeah. Yeah, I see the consumer aspect of this a little bit more like the Amazon model where there's like a centralized warehouse in the big cities that has the big infrastructure and they have all the materials that you could possibly want. So if you order something they just 3d print it there and then maybe a drone flies it to you yeah. or something, something along those lines where like, you can, it's still sort of on demand. You just don't have it in your house. You like there's it an, can be created. Like there's Go an ahead. Amazon, uh, the Amazon blimp or the mothership, they call it. That's just floating <laughs> above LA. And when I say that I want something like an iPhone charger, it'll just 3d mm. print it in that mothership. And then a drone will come deliver it to me. <laughs> And it's like, yeah. why do I need the 3D printer and all the materials? Like, I can just outsource that to Amazon or whomever. 
Yeah, it's not like it's really that necessary for you to have one in your home. It, it might even be a little bit annoying to have that in your home and have to deal with it rather than like it's still easier to go on and shop for something. And then it can be cre- it can be created with a top of the line 3D printer rather than some junky old like mm-hmm. $200 printer that has sort of a crappy finish to it. Right. Although I will say that once I have kids, if and if and when I have kids, I would want a 3D printer in the house purely just for educational and, f- yeah. and fun purposes. Yeah, that is one thing to note. Like education is really something that can be transformed by 3D printing, especially the whole engineering discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah, that's that's really big. A lot. I know a lot of schools have them. Most schools have a 3D printer somewhere. Yeah. Maybe not the highest quality in all the schools, but. You know, it's it's getting to the point where schools tend to be focusing a little bit more on STEM education, mm-hmm. at least, you know, in a lot of places. So it's it's something we will see more and more of, I think. Um, and, and the likely scenario, you know, really, ultimately, I don't think the likely scenario is much different from the best case scenario. This is this is one of those topics where it's it doesn't really seem like there are that many downsides yeah. to advancing more and more because, you know, it's it's not like the weaponry is going to be that big of an issue besides maybe the rockets. You know, if, if somebody mm-hmm. can get, get a hold of rockets and they might, but they're still not going to necessarily be the highest quality rockets in the short term. It might be easier to get rockets um, from a traditional, I don't know who supplies rockets to terrorists, or ex- mm-hmm. for example, but... Yeah, for the most part, I think this is going to be a likely scenario that matches up pretty closely with the best case. Yeah, I agree. And I guess one final thing to say before we end is if anyone listening to this is thinking of starting a 3D printing business, it's a pretty good time to start. And you can get into it fairly with a fairly low upfront investment. I mean, we talked about you can buy a pretty decent 3D printer for 200 bucks. For a few thousand bucks, you can get one that actually creates useful materials that can be sold. And we talked about you can create a cost a replica of the Iron Man costume for a thousand bucks and sell it for thirty five thousand bucks. I'm sure there are many other examples of especially when there's a lot of fanfare around a particular thing like Iron Man. Um, Right. So and like, you know fashion and jewelry and cost like I think that is sort of what is most people are most willing to pay up for right now I mean other than like you know life or death medical sort of things right so I would definitely recommend exploring this area if you're at all interested in becoming a 3d printing entrepreneur yeah for sure and even if even if you're just building things and you want to prototype 3d printing is a great way to kind of get get an idea of what something will be in the real world and i know a lot of big companies do that they'll just prototype with a 3d printer to kind of finalize a design and then sort of narrow in on something else so it's a really cheap way to prototype even if your company itself is not 3d printing awesome well thank you everyone for listening this has been the future of 3d printing what is currently happening and what will inevitably happen the past the present and the future
Hey Futurists, if you've made it this far, you might be wondering who created the Hence the Future theme song. It was created by the Walden Brothers, and you can find them on Spotify. The Walden Brothers also produced the sound bites for the worst case, the best case, and the most likely future scenarios. At Hence the Future, we're always looking for ways to improve the quality of our episodes and our predictions. To that end, we're building a team of researchers to curate the most authoritative and highly vetted sources as the foundation for every episode. If you'd like to support these efforts, you can donate a small monthly amount at anchor.fm slash hence the future. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support.